And welcome back to another episode of Vikingology. The art and science of the Viking Age. I'm Thing One, CJ Adrian. And I'm Thing Two, Terry Barnes. And Terry, who do we have today? Today we have a very interesting guest coming to us all the way from Reykjavik, Iceland, and that is Sigur Lauger Ingolfsson, who is a historian and soon-to-be newly minted archaeologist and he is also the director of operations at Arbeidarsafen, which is an open-air museum, a housing museum. And Sig specializes in Nordic housing, uh, but his graduate work is specific to housing during the Viking Age across Scandinavia. So we'll talk to him a little bit about what a Viking house looks like and how to build a Viking house. And now you have a personal relationship with Sig, or you've met him before yes. while visiting Iceland? Yes, yes. I've met him before a couple of years back uh, while visiting Iceland. Uh, I was part of a project that he was working on with uh, another gentleman to build out a living Viking museum, uh, you know, which would include Viking housing and a farmstead. Um, it was ostensibly called the Viking World. Still kind of on hold. COVID kind of dealt a blow to it. But yeah, so our initial uh, relationship was all about this issue of um, recreating Viking housing for um, not only, you know, entertainment and tourism, but also educational purposes as well. Because as I mentioned, you know, SIG works for an open air museum. And so it's definitely all about educating the general public about um, housing and historical periods. Fantastic. So here we go. We shall explore how Viking houses were built. Yes. All right. All right. Hi, Sig. Thank you for joining us all the way from Iceland, where it's normal Iceland weather, right? Yeah, it's miserable. Wet and windy and slushy, I guess is the right term. Melted, ah. Melting snow at the moment. Oh. Well, that sounds awesome. I love that. A good day for sailing, huh? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a good day to... Um, maybe think about how awful it would have been to live in the Viking age in Iceland and try mm -hmm. to build a house and keep yourself warm, I imagine. So you specialize in housing. You're the director of operations at a housing museum that is spanning periods of time that are outside of the Viking age, but your graduate work is on the Viking age and also not just Iceland, right? But also in other parts of Scandinavia, like Norway. And you've also gone to the islands, right? Like the Shetlands and the Orkneys. Yeah. I know you've gone to the Pharaohs. Yeah. So um, give, give our audience just kind of a basic sense of, um, you know, what type of a house does a Viking live in? What are they building their houses out of? Yes. So uh, my view viewpoint, I guess, is is looking at the whole North Atlantic. Uh, previous archaeologists in Iceland have maybe been very much focused on Iceland itself, but I wanted to maybe look at it in a broader perspective. So I've been looking in, into uh, excavations in, in Norway, Iceland, uh, Greenland, Faroe Islands, Shetland, Orkneys, and the north of Scotland. Um, and they're all very much similar, and, and especially in terms of materials uh, in, in, the, in the Iron Age, the pre-Viking Age and, and through the Viking Age, but then there is a shift. And so my thesis is, is trying to explain what is happening at the end of the Viking Age around 1000. But during the Viking Age, and certainly in the pre-Viking Age, we do have a, a, an incredible long period of stability 
where people are building long uh, houses, long houses we can call them, and they're 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 uh, obviously supported by by wooden structures, but primarily they are uh, the walls are composed of 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 stone, earth, and and turf, and and we assume they must have been covered with that material as well, and. In Iceland, that's how we build houses up to the modern age. So in many respects, uh, that lineage of, of technique has survived the longest here in the North Atlantic. It's cold there, that's why, right? It makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it does, it does, yes. So I, I'm thinking of also, you know, maybe a lot of the audience will be familiar with, you know, say movies and TV shows about the Vikings or even video games, you know, where they're showing sort of like the, the giant mead hall and things like that, where it's, you know, I mean, feels like pretty expansive to me, you know, and um, but it makes I mean, what you're saying sort of makes it sound like maybe it would be more logical to build like as close to the ground as possible. Is that what they were doing? Um, I think we have to kind of take Scandinavia and maybe split it into two. Uh, obviously, a lot of those who are familiar with Kattegat in, in the Vikings obviously have this rather urban image of the Viking Age. And that's probably true, obviously, for parts of, of Scandinavia, but primarily in the south and eastern part of what we would term as Viking Age Scandinavia, modern-day Denmark and Sweden. But if you go to the western part of, of Scandinavia, which would be modern-day Norway, you, you actually don't have any urban areas. Everyone's living on isolated farmsteads, and it's there that you can see these uh, stone turf dwellings. So the Vikings got it pretty much wrong. I, I, I will have to conclude, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid. And so they only, they also have, I mean, thinking of like building closer to the ground too. I mean, they actually went into the ground at a certain yes. point, right? I mean, it's the, these things known as pit houses. So can you explain a little bit about what those are? Yeah, so the pit houses are, are something that we can find across Northwestern Europe and even into Eastern Europe. Uh, we can find them in, in, in British Isles, in Scandinavia. So there's something that predates the Viking Age, but they are, were type of buildings that were also built in Iceland and, 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 and we can find them also in the Shetlands. Uh, we haven't found them in the Faroes. Um, and, and I think there's only one possible one in Greenland. So the pit houses are a little bit of a mystery. Uh, we do find a lot of artifacts relating to weaving. So we assume they must have had a function as a, as a maybe a sp specific weaving hut. Uh, were they intended for slaves? Were they intended for free women? We don't know. There, are, there is often a fireplace. Maybe they were just a general purpose specific buildings that were probably um, a good idea in a cold climate, especially in the dead of winter. It's probably the warmest part of, of, your, of your estate. Um, so certainly, yes, you do have buildings that are subterranean, but most of these buildings are technically built on the ground, but we do often see that the middle part is sometimes a little bit lower, perhaps, uh, but that could just be the fact that people are collecting materials for the walls by removing it from the middle of your of your structure so it does feel like you're stepping down but it's only you know a little, little bit i guess okay because that's how far i was going to ask too like how far are, are subterranean are we talking how many like the the pit houses uh they vary 
but but you do have them uh, obviously i'm i'm afraid I, I my life is in centimeters so you'll have to translate that perhaps but you have maybe 20 50 centimeters half a meter uh down okay that, so maybe what like 18 inches or something for for the mm. for the american audience who's still uh, stuck, yeah. the, stuck in the, the imperial dark system isn't yeah. it funny we still call it the imperial system that, that should rub everyone the wrong way yeah <laughs> empire is being the metric system is being imposed yeah. upon you by colonialists i know i know yeah. well actually it's funny i just to take a complete historical detour i apologize but the metric system is a fun one to talk about because it's invented by the french revolutionary government yeah. And by the time Napoleon took over, and what was he? He was an artillery commander. And so the French cannons were just a lot more accurate. So everybody's like, we should probably start using their system because it's hitting us right where they intend to hit us. <laughs> and that's how the metric system was born. But then in the US, we're like, you know, oh, no, you know, we're fine. We'll we'll keep the old colonial system that we inherited from England that we hate and somehow love. It's strange. <laughs> it, I guess we can translate it into Viking that my arm... Is, is well from my elbow to the tip that's probably alin or singular un which is the uh, the main the main system of measurement in the viking age so that's roughly 50 centimeters so you have some idea so is do we have do we have like evidence for how the vikings measured i, th I think i've heard that before that there was a whole measuring system well, for, uh, let's call them Viking Age Scandinavians, just to be a little yeah. bit more broad. Uh, no one knows exactly how long the Alin was, of course. We only know it from the medieval period, and it, it, it varies a great deal. So, But they, they, they think that it, initially it probably was elbow to the tip of your finger. Then people realize, I guess, that's not a very accurate way to measure things, but that's probably where it comes from originally. So this is the L, which is spelled E L. -L. Yes, L. Correct. Yes, yeah, because yes, I think yeah. in the Gragasit, um, which is the Icelandic law codes, it uh, mentions the translation. It's like around just over 19 inches is an L. Okay. Um, so, and we know that was important. Obviously, they needed to measure. We know they measured homespun to use as as currency yeah. and stuff. That the cloth that they they used. So. Um, well, so let's, uh, you sent some images, and so let's quickly take a look at some images and then give our viewers a, an idea about some of these types of housing, but also, as you said um, before we started, some of the ways that people think uh, Viking Age housing looked. So what do we, what do we have here? Yes, yeah, so these are from the Norwegian Folk Museum in Oslo in Norway. Um, these are typical log type houses. So before there was archaeology, especially initially, of course, people were more interested in digging through burial graves than and actually finding traces of buildings. So the initial scholarship being done on the subject was primarily uh, plowing through the sagas to find any references. They had these medieval houses still standing and the two kind of combined uh, in the sense that we do have a description that's supposed to occur in the ninth century where, a, where, a, where a, a, a Norwegian Viking king sets fire to buildings. And, and the description is clearly log style housing. So people just assume, okay, they're Viking age. So this is probably how the Vikings lived. Uh, and, and until we began to see excavations, which uh, don't really begin until the early 20th century, even though Iceland predates that a little bit, 
Um, this was the common idea of how a typical Viking Age house looked like. So finally, in Norway, when they actually found a building they could truly say was Viking Age, it didn't look anything like this, which did obviously was a bit puzzling. And gradually, of course, we, we came to realize that the log houses are actually post-Viking Age. Um, so I'm afraid uh, that bubble got burst a little bit along the way. I mean, so I can imagine. Was, oh, go ahead, go ahead, CJ. I was just going to ask this. So this was a, a a building style at some point. It just wasn't Viking Age as post. So it came after. So yeah, the these was, would be. Yeah, yeah, these would be post Viking, early middle Middle Ages, and the earliest evidence of these houses are found in the Norwegian towns uh, that are being founded around 1000 by the Norwegian kings. And, and because of the excellent preservation conditions, they can actually find them pretty well preserved, or well, obviously just the bottom pieces of them. Um, so that truly uh, is evidence that the log houses uh, were, you know, belong to the early urban settlements in Norway. So when I'm looking at these, um, I'm thinking about, you know, the various places across Scandinavia, which is a long ways if you're going to be talking about going all the way from Sweden to maybe Greenland, right, and everywhere in between, that the housing is being built based on natural resources. I mean, and we do know that Norway is more of a timbered place than, say, Iceland, right? So wouldn't they, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense that they would have at least thought that timber would be used quite a bit there before they you know found out for sure right uh, i that was one of the questions i was looking into in, in my thesis um because one of the rooms that is so common in the icelandic sagas is the is the stova which seems to have been a dwelling room and that the origin of that room seems to be uh the urban early urban areas in norway uh, but we have very little traces of these log type houses in Iceland or in Greenland or, or, or even in the Faroes. But uh, I came to the conclusion that while uh, they didn't have the materials, that's definitely true. I mean, if you ever been to places like Iceland, the Faroes and Greenland, you're not going to find a tree anywhere, really, uh, especially in the Viking Age. Or not of that size and shape like you have there in Norway, for instance. But I think they adopted the idea of a, of, a, of a living room uh, and the function, they simply just had to build them using the, the local materials, which, which were basically the same materials as before. Uh, obviously, you always need a little bit of timber uh, to, to support roofs, but not on this scale as we see in this image. Of course, that's, you're gonna need a lot of timber for those type of houses. But you can't see the house on the right-hand side, uh, that's not a log type house. That is something we would term as a stave built house, stave being the supporting pillars. And um, so just imagine you can take that type of house, you can, you can plant that in Iceland. Uh, so instead of having the timber walls, you just line the walls with stone and earth and turf, and, and, and that will keep you warm for, for a while. Okay, so I think that's probably a good segue to the next one then. There we go. So explain to everyone what we have here. Yeah, so this is a, a reconstruction, obviously. We don't have any uh, building standing from, from the Viking Age or early Middle Ages. Uh, so in 1974, we celebrated uh, 1100 years of, 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 the, of, of Iceland, basically. 
um, the idea was it was established in 874. So they wanted to have a typical medieval reconstruction built. And, and this was the result. It's, it's in southern part of, of Iceland. Um, and it's sometimes nicknamed the rubber uh, Stunk. Stunk is, is, is the farm which was uh, uh, which this reconstruction was based on, or the excavation at Stunk. Meaning, a lot of people see it as maybe over romantic. It's very tall, it's very grand. Obviously, everything from the ground up is always going to be a, a, a guess because we, we don't have the timbers, obviously, when we are excavating these buildings. But we do obviously know what the walls were made of because they were preserved uh, up to an incredible height at Stunk, about 20, 30 centimeters. So here, I guess. Uh, so we, we have a pretty good idea how the walls were built and we, we can see the fireplace, but everything else, of course, is um, something we, we, we just have to, to guess. So they're building it, the turf, um, and this is very, you know, in more modern or recent years, at least in the United States, you know, with climate change and everything else, it's become sort of fashionable to do like the eco roof uh, yeah. that we see here, which of course Vikings were like, you know, we don't have any other option but to have an eco roof. <laughs> so no, they, yeah, they invented that, yes. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I've been in this place a few times and the amount of, um, insulation is insane yeah. i mean you can definitely tell that you would be warm in this place um and i've read that in some of the places uh, the viking age housing could range anywhere from like three to even twice that three feet so like one meter to two meters thick is, yeah yeah and the, these walls are are built from uh, blocks of sod and if you it's maybe difficult to pick out but if you look kind of straight at the wall on the yes exactly there you can see a pattern it's yeah. called a herringbone pattern it's it's a type of pattern that that was very common uh into the 20th century and and so you have layers of, of blocks of turf being cut and and almost like a brick wall and then the base of the wall is stone and and this is pretty accurate in a, in the sense that they could model it on the existing walls they found at stunk the actual actual location obviously you have uh the real site preserved this of course this reconstruction is not built on top of anything here let me go to that next one then here you go so yes. so this is the so in 1939 we had a pan scandinavian uh expedition uh from across scandinavia apart from one country uh that decided not to partake norway uh, didn't send a, a representative, but we had a archaeologist from Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Iceland, and perhaps the the most iconic of the excavations was the one at Stunk in in Thjorsardalur. It's a, a very remote valley these days. Um, it was covered with with uh, volcanic tephra uh, after many centuries of volcanic activities. It's quite close to a, a very active volcano. Probably not the best place uh, to build a farm, to be honest. But the the tephra was the key to preserve it. It's it's almost like Pompeii in a way. Like yeah. they 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 would uh, remove the layers of tephra, and it was quite remarkably well preserved in the sense that they could see the walls quite clearly and, and, and a lot of the interiors. Everything wooden was had obviously rotted away, so they couldn't say anything about that. But so if you if you move your cursor maybe slightly to the right, you see the entrance 
uh, and, and and you would walk into a, a space that was probably had uh, a panel wall on the left and then in the corner you have a, a probably another room uh, on the right hand side there we go um that we don't know the purpose of this specific room but if you visit the reconstruction now this is where they sell you the tickets <laughs> that's right they put in there yeah. um, straight ahead you go into a, a small room number five uh, this has usually been interpreted as a privy or a toilet it, it, there's not a consensus on that but when you visit that that's the explanation they give you because you have those two drains on each side and they actually go through the walls so to me it does make sense that you, you could have an indoor toilet and we know in Scandinavia they were actually quite common in the Norwegian towns so why not have one self on your farm? Uh, if we go slightly back, we have a much grander space in the middle, which uh, has a fireplace. And on each side, you have raised what we assume must have been benches. There could have been some form of box beds. Obviously, the wood has gone. We can't tell. But there is a separation kind of almost in the middle. In this drawing, it's depicted as one space. But we uh, assume it, there, there was a separation splitting it into two spaces. So you can imagine maybe the, the space with the fire could have been the kitchen. The other space might have been a, a, some form of bedroom. And if you continue along, you have another uh, room. Oh, okay. Uh, another room. There we go. Into number four. That's definitely the pantry. We can, we can tell that because we have uh, 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 pits for battles in the bottom of, of the room. And the walls were uh, actually built more out of stone, probably to keep it colder. We, I think we can, we can assume that from that evidence. And finally, if we go back the tunnel, we enter space number three. And, and that has usually been uh, seen as the Stova room, that new type of dwelling space. And it too has a, a fireplace in the middle. Uh, we found evidence of, of weaving uh, there probably was a loom, uh, a standing loom, like a, a um, vertical loom at, at the uh, wall uh, far on the far side. And then we have a much narrower benches alongside the walls. So this is not a sleeping room. This is mostly a common day room, maybe more uh, occupied by women, although it's difficult to say, of course. So we do have this separation of, of different spaces inside the, the house. So, yeah, I was actually not too long ago um, checking out, uh, I can't remember what it's called, like the rise and fall of the Vikings, I think, something like that. Um, but it's a National Geographic, a fairly lengthy documentary series, and it has a, a many, many um, scholars of the Viking Age in it. And so they're talking about lots of different aspects of life in the Viking Age. And they did have a se segment on housing, and my ears kind of perked up because I know about your work with the Stofa the, uh, at the left-hand side of this diagram here. And, and they said that it potentially Potentially could have been a room where the chieftains um, conducted sacrifices. Have you heard about that? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, boy. Uh, I, I, so my thesis uh, concludes that the Stova is a post-Viking or it's, it's, it's appearing in that transitional from Viking to uh, uh, the medieval phase, and, and of course we gradually adopt Christianity. To me, sacrificing things doesn't make sense. Uh, 
it probably, I mean, if you want to sacrifice animals or humans, you, you, you probably do it outside. I mean, it's yeah. going to be very messy, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Or at least you'd do it at the end of the house next to the latrine with the bathroom where you have some yeah. flushing out I mean, of the... Room number five would be ideal sacrificing room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I also want to point out too, like the, 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 the measurement that we have at the bottom of this diagram, I mean, just for the housing itself, not including the outside dimensions of the walls. I mean, we're talking something on the, it says what, 25 meters. So we're talking yep. on the order of, you know, between maybe 75 and 80 feet. This is a big size place. Is this typical for Viking age housing? Um, no, they were actually a lot uh, longer especially in scandinavia you can have examples up to 50 60 meters maybe twice this so uh in iceland we we, we don't have them much they're usually this length in iceland but but certainly in scandinavia you you have much grander examples like bork in in lofoten is is the most extreme 80 meters which would be what uh three times this i guess it's like so, the, whole, the whole village is living in one one dwelling. <laughs> yeah, and if you go to the next slide, uh, because we have to remember that Stöng uh, is 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 covered with volcanic eruption in 1104. Uh, uh, so it's on the verge of the Viking uh, medieval uh, era. Here we have a much more normal, typical Viking age uh, example. This is from uh, a place called Hrapseyri. Uh, Terry, you know a lot about Iceland. Do you know which uh, significant person was born in Hrapseyri? I don't know. Is it? If I give you, if I give you 1811, can you? 1811? That's way yeah. later. That's way too yeah. late. <laughs> no, the 19th century. I don't, I'm notoriously for not caring about the 19th century. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's our independent hero, Jón Sigurdsson. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. So yeah, a little side note. He has nothing to do with the Viking Age, and he certainly wasn't born in this house, but uh, he's from that place at least. So this oh, wow. was excavated in 1979. Uh, it's been dated through uh, uh, carbon dating, which obviously wasn't available in the 1930s excavation. It's been dated to the 10th century. So this is truly Viking. Uh, you can see uh, it's like an. Uh, it's very. I don't think we have any measurements, but it, it's a it's a lot smaller than than Stung. And you see at the back, that's uh, something that was added later on. So they cut through the wall, added a little annex there. But you in the middle, you have the typical Viking Age long fire, which is a very uh, notable feature for the Viking Age houses. And you have the raised platforms on either side. So this room or this house is 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 not as separated into into different uh, rooms as we saw in Stung. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a more open space. On the far side, on the left-hand side, you have some barrel pits. So that's probably the pantry. So you can see everything is kind of mixed together. Everyone, I guess, free people, slaves. They're working, they're sleeping, they're cooking, all in one space. So the, the big development here is is in Stung, you know, they maybe want more privacy, so they add a little private room. Um, and on the bottom of the picture, you have a little pit house, and notice how close it is to the actual house. So the pit house, uh, as I mentioned previously, often seen as a, as a 
um, uh, weaving hut, specialized weaving place. So what what uh, time period range are we looking at for this one? So this would be like 940, uh, early 10th century. So the Norse Scandinavians, they arrive in Iceland in the late 9th century. So uh, this would probably maybe be a second generation house to the, or possibly first generation. We haven't found any earlier. Uh, this is on the Western peninsula of Iceland, farthest away from Norway. And you mentioned, so Iceland, Norway. So we're kind of, we're, we're splitting those off from other parts of Scandinavia where there's more urbanization. But as far as this, so this would have been an isolated farmstead. Like how far apart would these houses have been from each other from farmstead to farmstead? Like how, how disparate is the population at this point? It seems to be pretty uh, uh, scattered. Uh, there are currently excavations on the next farm over. But if you if you would you know exit this house, look to your right, you could see your neighbor. You can see the smoke from his house. But you know it'd probably take you a few, uh, maybe half an hour to walk across or something like that. So that's pretty isolated. Yeah. Yeah, I have like, seen. I think I was in a place called Lang Langelukt. I can't. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's in Sweden and it's a fortified housing settlement so you can see like a ring fortification around it but then the houses built within that circle and it's like they're really close together like looking yeah. like like modern condos or something like just you know almost sharing a wall so i think it does and, vary and they're obviously probably barracks for soldiers oh that's interesting uh you are going to iceland you're a farmer you probably don't like urbanization too much so this is what you would <laughs> probably you know you want your you want your uh, neighbor to be close, but not too close. <laughs> and, and we have to bear in mind, you know, you, you, you're settling an island where there's no one there before. So you pretty much can, can you know, you control the layout pretty much. Okay, so let me forward here. So what do we have here then? Okay, so we are now in uh, Bergen in, in Norway. Uh, so that, that was kind of my, my main uh, purpose of my thesis was to explain that this new concept of, of living room, the stova, which we didn't find in the, in, in, in the uh, earlier picture, but we did see at Stöng, uh, the origin of that building uh, I proposed is, is found in the Norwegian urban dwellings. So these are being created by the, by the Norwegian kings in the, in the early 11th century. Uh, and it's, it's this transition from the old Iron Age society to the more feudal type medieval society. And even these farmers in remote Iceland or Greenland, they travel to Norway. It's, it's a bit like, you know, you go from South Dakota to New York, I guess, uh, to put <laughs> a different perspective. And, and, and you take ideas with you back, uh, even though you don't have these logs, you don't have those materials, but, but the idea is being Trans transported across the North Atlantic. So we have this uh, example of a, of a, of a Norwegian uh, urban house. And you can see here in the right-hand corner where the arrow is pointing at Ildstedt, that means fireplace. And you have a fireplace in the middle, which is different from the one in Stöng. That's in the middle of the room. But you do also find in urban Norway, uh, the Norwegian towns, you do also have the fireplaces in the middle. Too. But you also have a latrine, which is 
bathroom. So just like the one at Stönk, even though it's a lot smaller <laughs> space. And also like in Stönk, you have those narrow benches. Uh, uh, you can see that the, like the wooden boards, uh, they where they stop, you have a, a space for sitting. Okay. So people sit around, you have a fireplace in the middle. This is something that the uh, uh, Icelandic and Greenlandic farmers uh, see and say, oh, maybe we can have a similar concept back home. And so that's how they maybe uh, uh, just adopted them to their Viking Age longhouses. So they, they kind of attach them to their already uh, existing longhouse, uh, longhouses. Sorry. So they're doing similar to what, you know, even, yeah, we still do in the modern age, right? Where the, it tends to be the urban centers that kind of drive culture and drive, you know, innovation and sort of the, the latest fashion trends in various things, right? And then so somebody goes and trades, you know, maybe in Kapang or Burka or someplace and then goes, ooh, look what they have. We want that. And then go back yeah. home and like add on the stofa to their house so that they can look like they're sort of the up and comers and the trendsetters as well. Yeah, and, and I think these urban areas, uh, so one thing that the kings are, uh, are driving at is also to introduce Christianity. And Christianity is a very international organization. Uh, so you have the, that isolated Viking Age society in Norway, and then you have those little pockets of urbanization where you have a, a very much a global, uh, I think globalization obviously is a big thing we use these days, uh, but that certainly was true then. So all these ideas are being channeled through the church and, 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 and through these uh, commercial uh, connectivities. And then, of course, you know, that perforates to the uh, urban areas, now to the rural areas as well. That's my that's that's what I was trying to say in my in my thesis here. <laughs> so if you, if you go back to the previous slide, I mean, this is the story that's building in my head. So you mentioned that top room that was added. So they like broke through the wall, right? And yeah. then and then added a, a second room. So then the story in my head is basically as these trends in the more urban centers are developing. And so you have this farmstead that's owned by presumably a, a couple, right? Um, the, the chief, we'll call him Chieftain and his wife. And yeah. then, you know, the chieftain, you know, who's just like, oh, you know, my cousin Sigrid, she's got a separate room where we, they can go sleep and it's away from the slaves, and the animals and the children. And I would like, and then the husband like, oh, okay, fine. I'll build you a room. Right. Like it's kind of, <laughs> I think, it's just I, that I, I think, it, I think it definitely played out like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we know, I mean, who was more interested in, in, in redeveloping the space? It's the wife, most likely. So, yes, I think. Right. Oh, right. come on. <laughs> well, we actually do. We do know that women were in charge of the farmstead. They held the keys. That was a really important piece, right? Like they, they ran the household. And but that's yeah, that's kind of a fun story, right? Of like, oh, and then we know that. And 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 to your point about Christianity taking hold during this time period, right? Part of yeah. part of Christianity is, let you know, there's uh, we don't know that much about the, the culture of Viking Age Scandinavians, right? But we do know that in Christianity, right? There's a lot more shame. There's a lot more, like think about the Catholics for a second, right? Yeah. There's a lot more shame. There's a lot more like, oh, let's hide, you know, like there's probably a, a certain degree of what we today would call modesty that started to, to take hold too. So having that separate room for the couple to sleep rather than sharing the big room with everyone else does make sense as a, as a long-term trend. Uh, yes. A cultural change because of this globalization brought on by Christianity. Yes, and I, I think that's definitely true. But 
it's 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 uh, here in Iceland. It's it's least interesting to see how they just take the old and the new and kind of just glue it together somehow. Mm-hmm. So you know maybe they get the idea is 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 a little bit murky, but 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 they're trying to kind of invent their own version of it, I guess. But yeah, I think definitely it's this idea of of privacy and 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 maybe a hierarchy that's. Mm-hmm. Is, is changing from the more, um, I think, you know, and, and the Iron Age society was maybe more uh, agrarian, you know, everyone was maybe more involved into it. In, in, in mm-hmm. They do have that interpretation at Stung, I remember, right, where you've got that central hall, and then they have put a couple of sleeping cabinets in there. And so there was a way that, you know, they were interpreting that maybe, you know, whoever the upper class person was, or maybe the owner of the, the place to, in order to get that little bit of privacy, but within the main space, they sort of literally make like this cabinet where they can go in there and sleep, definitely yeah. sleep sitting up because we know these people were not short and these, those spaces are like, seriously, I mean, I don't even know, maybe at the most five feet wide or something. And so it's uh, it's small, but the, the key is that you have a, a door that you can shut and kind of get a little bit of privacy from the rest of the people. Um, yeah, we, I, we know, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I just want to point out that, that we know that people in the 19th century Iceland, uh, they, they, they didn't sleep like we would. They, they would half sitting when they were sleeping. So I think that I think it's fair to say that they probably had different uh, ideas of comfort yeah (laughs) back then definitely well and the other thing that comes to mind when i see something like this and also the main um the main area is so my husband and i are uh you know fans of watching lots of these different types of home improvement type shows and we kind of have this running joke where it's sort of in the modern times you know in, in more recent years the big push is like well we want open plan we need an open yeah. plan, you know, like we need to be like this giant great room where we can see everything that's going on. We can see the TV from the kitchen and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just like the Vikings are like already doing the open plan like a thousand years ago. Yeah. And and in my thesis, I I, I, I was playing around a little bit with uh, uh, with uh, Foucault's panopticum, that, that idea that, you know, the chieftain or, or maybe his wife, we don't know, you know, she wants to keep an eye on everyone so by having this open space you're not going to hide you know your activity from anyone uh so that was maybe one form of control within that urban unit that's interesting i like that all right so So that 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 might indicate that the little private uh uh, could have maybe be intended for free women because they had you know the ability to actually be private. Back but, in the Greek days, what did they call that? The gynosseum, the women's room, the women's space in the house. Yeah. Okay, so, so what do we have here? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, so this is a fun little fusion. Obviously, this is a drawing of how the archaeologists imagine the building to be. This is in the Shetland, which are islands to the north of, of Scotland. They were Norse uh, during the Viking and the early Middle Ages, uh, and this particular building is, is dated to the 13th century. So we're, we're a little bit late there. There, of course, now we're in, maybe into more Middle Middle Ages. Um, it's a log house, we assume, although there were no traces of the logs that survived. But from all 
evidence it seems that it, it might have been built like that but one wall was definitely stone and turf just like they were building in iceland and greenland and elsewhere so it's it's kind of like a fusion of the of the old uh, iron age technology mixed with the with the more recent log type construction and you can see the little building uh, to the right hand of the door let's say uh, latrine um, yeah um, the this particular place it's an island called Papa Stor in the Shetland we know for a fact uh, it, it was residence of the king's steward on the island so most likely he he would have had a Norwegian type house certainly the logs would have been brought from Norway for the construction but my point is that you can see in in these islands how they're mixing local with 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 foreign in in the way they they construct the buildings okay yeah because that actually was another question i was going to ask you i read that um in the shetlands that they have um quite a bit of surviving evidence of the vikings building on top of previous pictish settlements there yeah. so i so like you say they may have been bringing logs from norway or you know their own resources to a certain degree but they're also just sort of building on top of and making use of what was already there right yeah because unlike in iceland you have that situation that people have been living in the shetlands for a thousand 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 years before and and we often know them as the picts uh so definitely they built obviously such a unique type of uh wheel houses the, the round shape buildings from stone uh, but we can see traces of viking vikings kind of repurpose the pictish houses so that obviously begs the question what happened to the pict well the vikings didn't leave much evidence i guess well wasn't yeah. there there was i i feel like i read recently like at least in the last 10 years which flew by evidently but uh, there was there was a, a study where they did a dna test and i was it the shetlands or i think it was the shetlands and the they they ended up being more closely related to norwegians than than people in the british isles so the 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 overall consensus was that the the population was completely replaced like completely so that's yes. the yeah it it does seem that, that that certainly was the case, whether the Picts left by their own accord or by some other means. Um, I mean, these are Vikings we're talking about. They didn't exactly yeah. say, uh, we're going to give you a chance to leave. <laughs> no. Please, can I, I move into your, your land, please? Yeah. Please. No. Yes, uh, if, if you could just leave. <laughs> yeah. Very, very handy if you, if you could, please. Um, I, I went to the Shetland several years ago, and I was wondering, you know, can we really find any traces of the Norse there? I mean, they've been part of Britain or, or, or Scotland for centuries. Um, and quite, uh, quite astounding, I, 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 the, the dialect is still very much Norse-inspired. And, and the, it was these little words that that you could see the, the Norwegian connection through, which was quite quite amazing, I, I, I felt. And even just looking at the sheep, they're very much Icelandic in my mind. <laughs> Let's see, do we have another image here? Oh, that was it. Okay. I think, so was, what, I think there were last one, yeah. I have to ask the question, what makes a sheep look Icelandic? What's, what does an Icelandic uh, sheep look like? So... In, in in Iron Age Europe, you have a, 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 a type of sheep that has a double coat fleece. 
um, then people realize that you have a different type of sheep living in the Middle East and, and the quality of fleece is, is much better. It's not this coarse uh, like, like the Norse, uh, like the Iron Age sheep. So they brought them in from the Middle East and basically uh, made the old breed extinct, except they did survive in Norway, Iceland, the Faroes, and in Shetlands. And so that, that's where you have your old, old stock still, and they still have that very tough double coat fleece. So you can always spot the difference between the, the, uh, the new and the old when you know your oh, sheep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. It's know your sheep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what 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 do you call the uh, tail of the sheep? A uh, tail, maybe? Just a tail. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the the difference is that the you have a long tail and you have a short tail. Mm. So the ones you have in the states or, or at least brought over from Europe, they're long tail. Mm. Here in Iceland, we have the short tail. So don't be embarrassed if you're driving through the countryside and you're looking at the back end of sheep. You know, it's. <laughs> scientific which is exactly what i'm going to do now every time if i'm ever driving through scotland i'm going to be looking real close like where did he get his sheep (laughs) my wife nudging me what are you looking at the back end of sheep what's i'm worried about you yeah historically that's not been a good thing it's not been that was in Wales. In Wales, in the Middle Ages, they had a law that was literally, if you if you fornicate with sheep, we'll take one of your hands. And the fact that it had to be a law yep. tells yeah. us that it was very commonplace. There you go. <laughs> now, the question is, was it so because... Just, just look, is what I'm saying. Oh, one of the other questions, though, that I had, Sigus, um, so we know from, for instance, Rigstila, right? This kind of... Yeah poem that we we have from from the viking age ostensibly that tells us about the the beginnings of the class system so that we know that they were a class conscious society and you're talking about in your work sort of the difference between and the influences of urban versus rural housing um do we i mean and that that kind of makes sense to me from a class standpoint but do we have any sense of like different types of housing based on class maybe just within Iceland or within Norway, even it maybe even in some of the more rural, you know, so like, for instance, just kind of in standard trope, like is the chieftain have the mansion and everybody else has just a crappy little pit house or, you know, is, do we have any sense of that? Um, it's always going to be a little bit tricky. Um, the problem is in Norway that ironically enough, there aren't that many houses that have been excavated from the Viking Age. And unfortunately, because they're using mechanical diggers, uh, often traces of fireplaces are, are often gone. So you do have maybe a small buildings, you do have a large buildings, but sometimes you're not able to tell, you know, this was used as storage, this was used for living, or this was for the sheep or whatever. So it's a little bit complicated, but certainly if you look at these big, long houses, like the one on Lofoten Island in, in North Norway, uh, we must assume that that's you know that's for an important person but i guess the society was simply uh you were either free or you were not so you probably either belonged to a household or you controlled your own household so to me i it was probably you know within the household that you have the hierarchy not necessarily in terms of of of, of you building big or small houses but i don't think we have any you know examples of that uh in 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 scandinavia okay because i'm thinking also of then um 
you know, just the numbers of people, if I remember correctly from going to Stung, I mean, they're talking about it being maybe like 20 people would be inhabiting this place at any given time. And yeah. so we think about it in our own modern terms of like single family housing. I mean, generally, it's just a nuclear family, right? You know, yeah. it, 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 mother, father, or whatever, and children kind of thing. And, but we're talking about extended kin networks and other people. Cause I just can't imagine like what you were saying before about some of these big houses being like, what did you say? 80 meters. That's like what? 240 feet long. I mean, that's not just the chieftain and his wife, right? I mean, no. there's going to be a lot of people living in these spaces. Yeah. I think that's definitely true, but that's, that's a, has already been a bit of a question. I mean, what happened to all the sons? Because the old Norse Oodle laws or the, um, yeah, the law basically was that the oldest son would inherit the estate. So where did all the, the younger sons go? Um, one theory is they went on a, on a Viking cruise down to Britain to find more land there, or maybe they went to Iceland to settle. But, but definitely, I think you have maybe more than one household living under, under the same roof in some cases. And especially, I think you have generations living together. Uh, when my mom was born in 1947, her uh, her great grandmother was still living on the farm. So you had four generations under the same roof, and I think that was probably true also then. Did they have an 80 meter longhouse? No, <laughs> no. I'm afraid not. Well, so so far today, we've talked about really the uh, a rural phenomenon, right? So it's for lack of a better analogy it's like you know the american westward expansion so far we've been talking about the homesteads in the midwest versus you know we're not, we're putting aside you know the the more urbanized east coast right um so this is for viking age scandinavia we have the more urbanized say parts of denmark sweden so we're staying pretty pretty rural with this so as far as like what happened to all the sons i imagine there was room for them to to spread at least initially i i would imagine Right. So in yeah. Iceland, if you had two sons, they would just go do, you know, take a 30 minute walk and be like, all right, I'm going to build a house here. Uh, I think the yeah, bigger question is, yeah, yeah where, where are they getting their wives? And I, I think we have because, <laughs> you know, that's that's going to be the harder question. And I, I, I do recall seeing a study years ago. I, 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 I keep thinking of these studies that I read a long time ago that I just am like, oh, I can't I'll have to dig it up. But it it, uh, it was genetic testing that was done in Iceland, um, yeah. showing that there's a lot of Irish DNA. And yeah. so the, the, the assumption there is that the, there were, there was a large influx could have been slaves, but also wives. And then that there were reproduced, you know, taking some of these as their wives, uh, and yeah. then changing. The, the... Yeah, that that's correct. And, and it seems that, uh, the numbers are roughly that half of, of the women population do have uh, an Irish or uh, I guess we would say a British background. Uh, on the male side, it's predominantly Norwegian. I think the numbers are 70 some percent. I can't remember them correctly, but but uh, it, we do have sources that do say that the son of, of so-and-so uh, went to claim land in, in Britain and then he settled in Iceland. So we can assume that they must have taken wives with them uh, along the way and 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 the standard joke has often 
Don't worry, I, I went super dark. Some, You're fine. We, we, we <laughs> might we might have some UK viewers here. Um, <laughs> but uh, the joke is basically why do people have bad teeth in Britain? Well, the ones with good teeth went to Iceland. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> there are some variations on that joke, and I, I picked the more lenient ones. But um, um, uh, uh, my apologies to to everyone from from the British Isles, but uh, I think that could explain it. I do think it's probably a balance of slavery and free women uh, being picked up. Let's say on the way to Iceland, we do we do see that uh, travel from Norway to the British Isles to Iceland uh, as a progression along. Uh, with, I guess people finding land to settle because of maybe overpopulation problems in Norway. So I'm thinking too about if I'm going to go to a new place like Iceland and okay, I'm going to set up a brand new farmstead from the housing standpoint. And I don't even know if you can answer this question, but I'm thinking, all right, there's two seasons in Iceland. <laughs> Hopefully you're not landing there like when winter is about to hit, because yeah. then it's like, all right, how quickly can you get together a home, you know, as far as just but building a home in mm -hmm. order to, to protect yourself from the elements when we're talking about building up so many of these, you know, like you're taking, you know, the, the, the turf and the herringbone and, you know, piling all this stuff on top of each other and whatever. And in, again, even at Stung, they talk about like, in, even like with our modern construction of having kind of like a framing wall into which they put stones and stuff. And it's like, to me, this seems like incredibly time intensive. Do you, do you have any sense of how long it takes to kind of just build a sort of standard home like that? So in the modern age, we obviously we can we can draw uh, we can draw parallel maybe with 19th century practices. So you so need to cut the turf and you need to dry it. And that's a process that will take about three to six months. So that's the first step. You can't use it while it's wet. Um, the, 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 there's been recent theories that maybe the the pit houses, maybe their initial purpose was uh, to act as a temporarily sh uh, shelter while you were constructing your your proper house. Might well be. Uh, there's other other theories that they 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 pulled their long ships on land and just rolled it over to act as a as a as a shelter. I'm I'm not so convinced on that, but you know, then there's just the question of of these simple structures being built in Norway. Uh, I guess you can take the timber uh, and just reassemble them in your new new country. So maybe you can maybe use uh, you can maybe send someone ahead to do all the turf work, and then you can take down your house, sail across, rebuild your house, and should take you not that long, I guess. It's like a kit. <laughs> kit house. Yeah, it's like IKEA, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except whenever you 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 put a IKEA furniture together and then you have to take it apart, they usually fall apart. Uh, but these were definitely maybe a longer lasting type of IKEA kit houses. Okay, yeah, so this is answering a good question too, because when you go into those museums and you see some of these artifacts and you see what they tell you are these little hook-shaped 
implements that they say it's a key from the Viking Age, but now it's a, it's a, it's an IKEA Allen wrench. Yeah, it's, from yeah. Viking Age, <laughs> <laughs> and they're found all over the place. Uh, so I do. Uh, I, I'd like to steer the conversation into kind of a fun segment of you know fact versus fiction when it comes to well fiction. Uh, and to start with, I do have a question about accessory dwellings. So we have the one longhouse that we've looked at. These are remote rural structures where everybody's living in the same space. Occasionally, as we saw with, with some of the pictures that we looked at, the uh, latrine or the cesspit, whatever, is, is slightly either detached or slightly outside. Or is yeah. in the one example, it's actually just a separate room. Yeah. What... When you're looking at archaeological finds, and let's say archaeologists find a house, how often are accessory buildings found surrounding that? Is it is it never? Is it a little bit like? And I want to take as an example the movie The Northman, where they go to the farmstead and they have their longhouse. There's like four longhouses there, right? Uh, and plus tiny little buildings that are kind of so. How how accurate is that? versus what we actually see when we're digging things up. Yeah, so unfortunately, I, I haven't seen the Northman with this, this <gasps> name. Uh, but in more recent years, they archaeologists have been focusing on the whole uh, farmstead rather than just focusing on the main longhouse building. So we do have a fairly recent excavation in, in Vassfjörður, uh, which is in the western fjords of Iceland. And they, they found smaller ancillary buildings one that was probably a smithy, and it's probably a good idea to have the smithy at, uh, disattached from your house for obvious reasons. Uh, there was another house next to that they, they assume might have been used to store fuel, possibly for the smithy or possibly for the whole farmstead. There's a separate buyer for animals, and then there was a one building they couldn't really identify, but I think there was a lot of uh, fish bone in it, so it was probably storage for, for fish or drying fish, possibly. Uh, so I think, yes, we do have a number of smaller buildings now being uh, excavated that maybe in previous centuries no one really bothered about. You know, their main focus was the main building. So um, we can see that some of the function was uh, in different different locations. So the part of my book where the guy gets dragged out to a shed and hanged, you know, it's it's good. We're okay. That there could yeah, have been. Yeah, a... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm gonna give you a. Uh, I'm gonna give you a pass. Give me on a that. pass on that one. <laughs> uh, the the other one that I have and it came up earlier when we were talking about actually the specifically the the bathroom. We'll call it the bathroom. Yeah. The separate the separate uh, deal. So years ago, Jared Diamond did a whole thing on you know the demise of the Greenland Norse. And one of the things I remember reading in that, and I, I might be off on this, I might be remembering wrong, I have to revisit his article, really interesting article. But one of the challenges he said the Greenland Norse faced was that they would construct their longhouses with a cesspit that was too close to the house. And because of the permafrost, it would trap all the waste so that all that waste would essentially move, somehow contaminate the groundwater that they were that they were pulling from wells and so forth. In your research, have you run into any of that or any of those potential issues? Or essentially, you're you're looking at that. We'll call. I'm going to call it the master bedroom. Uh, so yeah. the the development of the master bedroom for the husband and wife. But have you yeah. seen? Did you? Is there any development of where they position 
the bathroom in relation to the house that could have been caused or spurred on by ecological challenges, for example? Well, in case of Stink, uh, the location of the of the bathroom makes sense because it's down down uh, a steep uh, bankment and and uh, there's a, a small creek uh, which was probably carry away the uh, uh, spoils. So that was, will probably support the the theory that that was a latrine. I, I am not familiar with uh, with the article you mentioned, and to be honest, the Greenland case in terms of, of, of buildings is a bit tricky because so much was, was excavated in the 1920s and 1930s and 1940s, but most of it is, is unfortunately um, difficult to, to work with nowadays because we, we've come to realize that a lot of the assumptions and a lot of the things they were doing don't um, hold up in, in, with modern uh, mythology within, within archeology. span So I'm afraid, um, well, so, yeah, a lot of that is 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 uh, is well. I I wouldn't say maybe dangerous, but 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 uh, can cause problematic interpretation. So for our purposes today, unusable. Yeah, I would say so. There there was a excavation in the nineties, but they haven't published the uh, the findings, and it's a long waiting uh, uh, wait for the for the final report. Um, but uh, that's the most up-to-date excavation that was carried out in Greenland because Greenland is so unique because you have the Norse population disappear, uh, whether they were adopted by alien, uh, aliens or not. Uh, <laughs> it was, I, I, I kind of lean towards to. Um, uh, but that meant, of course, that you have the houses, you know, in Iceland, they were building on top of these houses for centuries and centuries. So, so much of the of the evidence has been lost to later rebuilding of, of, of houses. In, in Greenland, of course, you have that uh, chance to, to, to start at 1500 and then work yourself down to, to, to 1000. So Greenland, of course, is a unique place. And then the permafrost means that they do have a lot of wooden objects being preserved, which is so often missing from, from archeological excavations. It's called the farm beneath the sand. Uh, if you if you're interested in in the western uh, district of Greenland. Hmm. So when I was uh, in Iceland, I think it was two years ago. Sigwin um, at Arbar there, they were doing a, a dig, and yeah. um, we, we talked to those archaeologists, and I could see with the the layers like i think they they had you know like identified the volcanic eruption around 1500 or something but mm -hmm. then also getting to the like cj's point about like the latrine and stuff like that i remember like the middens yeah which basically is the garbage dump was like yeah. right there mm -hmm. and so, i mean these things i mean I always sort of wonder about, so obviously medieval people at that point in time are not, you know, they don't understand, you know, like germ theory and how these bacteria and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, they tend to have these things like the garbage dump or the bathroom be maybe closer for obvious reasons. I mean, I'm, I don't want to get out of bed in the middle of the night and have to go to the bathroom in Iceland in the winter when it's like yeah. <laughs> way outside the house, you know, but so, or, you know, how much do we know about their, how close or how not close they are doing these things that are, you know, 
basically getting rid of waste of various kinds, but it's like very close to the house versus them maybe having some knowledge of, no, that needs to be farther away. Yeah. Sorry, my phone just uh, uh, rang that. Um, we're going to put it on the silent for um, they, they, I, th I think it was just the question of you, you, you don't want to go too far with your garbage. Uh, I suppose that's the, just and same with the bathroom, as you mentioned. I think it's just convenience. Um, but uh, the excavation we're doing at the museum, the one you mentioned, is a, is a good example of 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 the of the of the uh, tricky situation when you're when you're trying to locate the oldest buildings and you you have basically the younger ones always destroying what's underneath them. So uh, that's that's a big challenge here in 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 Iceland, for instance. And they have dated that to the Viking Age, though, right? They've gone down that far. In we uh, they haven't gone uh, all the way down. Uh, they are around fifteen hundred at the moment. Oh, okay. And as you say, they use the volcanic tephra layers. Volcanoes are excellent, even in archaeology, as as because they're uh, easily traceable and they can be dated. So they they can give us a, a, a fairly accurate uh, dating. Well, I think. Um... Maybe as a sort of a final question, at least for me, is, you know, what's old is new again. I mean, in the ways that Vikings, by just obviously the period of time they lived in, they had to build their houses in certain ways, right? Just because, yeah. you know, they, they need to protect themselves from the elements, protect themselves from outsiders, um, and they have natural materials, whatever. But like my comment earlier about the eco roof, I mean, what do you think from what you know now, uh, investigating these structures, what can we learn, if anything, about, you know, home building from the way people used to live, you know, a thousand years ago? Um, uh, I, I don't think there were, I don't think we should go back maybe to, to the Viking Age. Um, and they were probably a bit smoky and, and you probably had a lot of moisture being trapped in, inside these buildings. But interestingly enough, here in the museum where I work, we do have a, a turf building and we recently have had checks on mold in each of the buildings. And ironically enough, the one we kind of assumed had the biggest problems, the turf house, had the least problems, um, primarily because they think it's just there's so much ventilation. Basically, the wind is blowing through it a lot, uh, so it seems to to have uh, less issue with 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 mold. Uh, so maybe that's something we can learn from. Um, uh, I think as in the New York City, they're beginning to put turf on the high rising buildings to cut on uh, energy bills. So uh, at least. Uh, you know, we we can adopt that practice, I guess, from from our Scandinavian ancestors. Um, but apart from that, I don't think um, I don't think turf houses are going to make a return here and here in Iceland. But I think I think the biggest problem is you have to rebuild them every 50, 60 years. So I mean, it's still better to... than today. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I suppose. I mean, here I we're Terry and I are in Oregon, and I I actually worked my day job was in the construction industry and now my gosh nothing is built to last here i mean i've, I've had to rebuild my whole house basically since i bought it 
so yeah, we had, that's something we should learn is if we could get houses to last 50 to 60 years, that'd be nice. Oh no, I have to say, I'm sitting here in my house that was built in 1910. Yeah, uh, that's probably because the wood that was used in your house was a slow growing, very dense. Douglas so, fir. You know, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, instructable. <laughs> yes, but the question is how many times have you had to like completely renovate it right it's uh that's what Only... i mean it's like mine had to you know i so i say rebuilding i mean like well actually that brings up a good question like so you say that these houses last like 50 to 60 years right with the turf and all that how what what would do we have any sense of what maintenance would have looked like and that i, I suppose that would come from the reconstructions right like how much constant maintenance of replacing certain sections of turf wall and so forth does it take to keep it keep it moving or keep it usable well what we do is we 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 take out a section so we don't do the whole thing in one piece so we can just do it piece by piece and that's i think that's probably how they would have done it as well but it's interesting uh the pictures we saw earlier of of the reconstruction here in iceland at, at the so-called stung uh, in 1974 when they were doing the, the construction they decided to have a concrete inner core inside the walls, which obviously is modern, but then they would pack the, the sod on the outside and they would think, well, this was probably last longer. We don't have to have as much maintenance. They were actually proven very badly on that point uh, because the water would tend to collect between the modern concrete wall and the and the sod. And, and then when it froze, mm. uh, it would push the sod out. Yeah. So they would they they actually have had had to do a lot more renovation than if they had just stuck to the old methods of doing it um, the tried and tested way. So sometimes uh, the modern ways are not necessarily the best ways. Here, here, I like that as a historian. <laughs> <laughs> well, so to to close out, so what's um, as far as so you finished your thesis. Mm -hmm. And I think we discussed that in two weeks, you're, you're going to be defending it. And then you're going to be a freshly minted uh, archaeologist. Although I argue you're all, you already are. You're just going to get a, an official label, right? Yeah, an official know. stamp. Yeah. Uh, so what, once, that's, once that's through, what's next? Well, oof, uh, um, I'm hoping maybe to, uh, because I, unfortunately, this is all in Icelandic. So uh, it's going to be uh, available online if you want to try out your Icelandic skills in in uh, in two weeks. But I'm the plan is, uh, and I've been encouraged by my my tutor to uh, maybe write an article in English to 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 publish it maybe to a wider audience. So that's something I I hope to do in in 2023. Once I I get over the. Uh, you know, the nausea that follows <laughs> finishing <laughs> such a project. What, wait, what happened to the English summary that you sent me? Oh, is there is a summary in it. Okay. So uh, about 10 pages uh, are actually in English. So yes, you, you, you do have that option. Uh, but I hope to maybe compress it into an article, hopefully to be published in, in, a, in a Scandinavian uh, 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 paper. Well, I'll help you with the English version. You know, I'll help you with the English version. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I want to also say we will put a link to uh, Arbar, 
where you work in the description so that people can check it out. And hopefully for and, anybody who travels to Iceland, you're right there in Reykjavik in the capital. Yeah. And of course, uh, because the museum I work for, the city museum has many different type of, of, of sites. And of course we do have one Viking Age site that uh, is downtown Reykjavik called the Settlement Exhibition. Highly, highly, highly recommended. We have a ruin, an actual ruin of a Viking Age longhouse. Unfortunately, I didn't send you pics of that. This is kind of strange. Uh, uh, where you can actually view the ruins in situ. You basically can can walk around them uh, and 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 see them uh, where they were uh, uh, located. Okay, we'll put a link to that as well yeah. in the description. Yeah. Well, Terry, you're going to be in Iceland in I, March. I Perhaps am. you could go down there and take some pictures for us. Yeah, <laughs> I could, yeah, I, I, I can definitely do that. I've been there before. I've been there with Seek and yeah, yeah. Got, got a nice uh, guided tour uh, to the new part, which is also an extended sort of history of, of Reykjavik uh, as yes. a settlement. Yeah. So initially what was only a Viking Age site is now actually from the Viking Age to the 19th century or modern century, I guess we also have 20th century there. Yeah, so now it's it's covering the whole history of Reykjavik, not just the Viking Age. Yeah, yeah. cool. Well, sounds great. I'll be back, yeah. So I'll look forward to it. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap for today, everybody. So thanks again, Sig, for coming on the show. My really pleasure. appreciate it. Very interesting conversation. Good, yeah. good food for thought for me for as I write and things that I can include in my books and things that I should probably leave out in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Open plan bathroom outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye.